This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 84 entitled, Angels as Agents of the One True God, Part 1. If you've never been to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, you should know that it is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I am your host. If this is your first time to the podcast, welcome. I appreciate you being here. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you are a regular listener, thank you so much for listening and I appreciate your support. We are beginning a new study here on the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, looking into angels and how these heavenly messengers relate to God and Jesus. In the Old Testament, it is not uncommon for the one true God to send an angel in order to communicate an important announcement or perform an important task on God's behalf. Yet, some of the texts seem to blur the lines between God and the angel who was sent, making it difficult for many readers to know exactly who is talking and calling into question who the angel actually is. There have been a variety of proposed solutions on the apparent blending of the sender God and the sent angel. Some feel that angels are actually theophanies, or divine appearances by God embodied in the angel, to where the angel actually is the one true God. Justin Martyr, a second century philosopher turned theologian, was the first to argue that many of these angelic appearances in the Old Testament were pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus Christ. Still, others have proposed that the key to understanding the blurring between God and his angels lies in the nature of angels as messengers. And messengers naturally represent their sender in some heightened capacity. This episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast will begin examining the key text involving heavenly angels in order to better understand the one true God who sent them. Before we get started, we need to settle a few points on definitions. The word malak in Hebrew and the equivalent Greek word Angelos can refer to either human messengers or heavenly angels. Most of the time, however, the context of a given passage is pretty clear as to whether it is referring to a heavenly messenger or a human messenger. But I'll admit there are a handful of texts that are disputed. For this episode, however, we are going to focus solely on the heavenly angelic messengers, looking to see how their words and deeds help us better understand the God who commissioned them. So without further ado, let's begin looking at some of our text. 
Our first point today is looking at the angel that visited Hagar. I'm going to read a passage out of Genesis 16, starting in verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? That's Genesis 16, verses 7 through 13. It is interesting to note that this passage is the first appearance, from a canonical perspective, of the angel of the Lord. It should also be pointed out that there is no definite article in front of angel. So the insistence made by some that this angel of the Lord is the angel of the Lord, as one of a kind angel, is really unwarranted. Without much introduction, this angel of the Lord appears on earth by the spring on the road to Shur. This is easily seen and made apparent by the narrator of Genesis. The Hebrew text uses masculine verbs for this messenger, so we can safely presume that the messenger is a male. The text repeatedly reminds the reader that the one who is speaking is this angel of the Lord, identifying him four times in this small passage, in verses 7, 9, 10, and 11. This heavenly messenger speaks of Yahweh as someone other than himself in verse 11. Verse 11 says, The Lord has given heed to your affliction. So there the angel speaks of the Lord, Yahweh, as someone other than himself. However, in verse 10, the angel seems to speak the very words of Yahweh himself, saying, I will greatly multiply your descendants. End quote. How is it that Yahweh is a distinct person from this angel, and at the same time, the angel speaks the very words of God. There is no indication here of some sort of theophany. That idea is wholly absent from this passage. And it doesn't make sense of the fact that two persons, Yahweh and the angel, are both actors in this scene. 
nor is there any suggestion that this angelic messenger is Jesus Christ. And no serious modern commentator that I can find seems to think that Jesus is in view here. The most obvious explanation is that the angel is acting as an authorized agent of Yahweh, speaking Yahweh's own words as a designated messenger. Remember that the Hebrew malach means messenger, and this Hebrew noun actually derives from the verb lock, which in Hebrew means to send a messenger. It's used in Hebrew and in a variety of Semitic languages. Therefore, it is very likely that the messenger of Yahweh, the angel of Yahweh, is acting naturally as one would expect a messenger to act, speaking the words of the one who sent him. To confuse the messenger with the one who sent the messenger is to ignore the basic principle of agency that was widely recognized in the ancient Near East. So, while it is true that there is a blurring of the lines between Yahweh and this heavenly messenger, the simplest explanation is that the messenger is just that, one who speaks the message of the one true God who sent him. The heavenly angel can speak as if he was God precisely because he is communicating authoritatively as an agent. Let's move on to our second passage. Our second point today is Hagar's second encounter with an angel. Here we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 21. I'm going to start in verse 17. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. That's Genesis 21, verses 17 through 19. While the former episode had the heavenly messenger show up on earth and speak with Hagar, this episode details the angel who calls Hagar from heaven. Although this story speaks of an angel of God, without the definite article in Hebrew, the former story spoke of the angel of Yahweh. These differences, however, in wording, are inconsequential to understanding the narrative. It just goes to show that sometimes the messenger can be described as the angel of the Lord, and sometimes the messenger can be described as the angel of God. We shouldn't make too much out of this. The heavenly messenger speaks of God as someone distinct from him in 2117, which says, Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. 
This is what the angel said. The angel spoke of God as someone other than himself. We have a clear line of communication in this narrative, beginning with God, sent through the angel, and spoken to Hagar. In verse 18, however, the angel speaks in the first person with the words of God, saying that I will make a great nation of him, end quote. Like the previous account with Hagar and an angel, there is a blurring of the lines between God and his messenger. What is the best way to make sense of this passage? Again, a theophany seems unlikely. Since a theophany is not mentioned in this passage, and the angel, I'll remind you, still resides in heaven. It is also unlikely that the angel is Jesus Christ, as there is no indication that Jesus is even alive or present at all in this narrative. We are left with only one reasonable option, and that is that the heavenly messenger is speaking the words of God precisely as an authorized agent. In other words, the angel of God is able to speak the words of God in the first person, not because the angel is God, but because angel means messenger. And this messenger of God naturally is authorized to convey God's own words to Hagar. This explanation takes into account the fact that both God and the angel are separate parties while acknowledging the role of the messenger as a principal agent, authorized and able to speak on behalf of the one who sent him. Our third passage today is looking at Jacob's dream of an angel of God. This short passage is in Genesis 31, starting in verse 11. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. He said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats, which are mating, are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me, now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. That's Genesis 31, verses 11 through 13. Here we have another passage where there is a blurring of the lines between God and the angel. This occurs in the midst of a dream that Jacob experiences. And dreams involving angelic communication is quite rare in Scripture. You can also see it in Daniel 7, verse 1, and Matthew 2, verses 12 through 19. In this dream, only the angel is mentioned. Although it is interesting to note that the angel's description in Hebrew of Genesis 31, 11, 
reads angel of the God with the definite article attached to God. So, while the angel does not mention God in the dream as someone other than himself, it is clear that the narrator of Genesis wants the reader to know that this angel is an angel of the God, thus indicating two distinct persons. Furthermore, a messenger always presumes that some other party or person has sent that messenger with a task or announcement. Moreover, Genesis has already established in multiple places that the true God is the sender and authorizer of heavenly messengers with the status of an agent. Still, it is useful here to test the other hypotheses. The theophany hypothesis finds no support, for there is little indication that God appeared in the form of an angel, and there would really be no reason for this to take place in the midst of a dream. The Jesus hypothesis also fails to be persuasive because Jesus is not even mentioned here or anywhere in Genesis. Perhaps the angel is called God here. That's a distinct possibility, claiming to actually be the God of Bethel. But this would need to be qualified by highlighting the principle of agency recognized with an angel who belongs to the God, the one God, the one true God. The safest bet, it seems, is to regard the angel as just that, an angelic messenger authorized as an agent who is able to speak the words of God without being confused with the one who sent him. This seems to be how the messenger can recount the sender's words in the first person. And the previous encounters with angels have tempered the reader for this sort of interpretation. So, in conclusion, we have observed that Heavenly angels function as highly empowered and authorized agents of the true God. These messengers exercise the prerogative of an agent, speaking the words of God, sometimes in the first person, in ways that blur the sender and the sent angel. But it would be unwise to confuse God with his messenger. This would be to ignore the basics of how agency functioned in the ancient Near East. The Old Testament is a product of ancient Near Eastern literature, and it needs to be interpreted within that context. Agents in the ancient Near East could speak and act on behalf of the one who sent them. And this includes speaking the message of the sender in the first person. Thus far in our study, angels do not seem to be theophanies or 
God appearing in the form of an angel, nor is there any evidence to suggest or even hint that these angels are Jesus Christ, one who has yet to even be created at this point in the story. Heavenly messengers are authorized agents of the true God, and the manner in which they speak on God's behalf creates appropriate parallels for how we can best understand Jesus' words and actions in the New Testament, especially when Jesus acts under the commissioning and sending of God the Father. If you would like to support the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, please check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for listening to us today. Again, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes and so that you can check out previous episodes of the podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. So long and take care.